Hi, welcome to the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maggie Perry. I'm a licensed psychologist with a doctorate degree in clinical psychology. I'm also the founder of the online group therapy platform, Huddle.Care. I love helping people overcome anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, mood disorders, and stress. Please join us each week as we share real sessions with actual clients that reveal helpful techniques for effectively dealing with anxiety, OCD, mood disorders, and stress. We'll discuss what effective therapy looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We'll follow our guests as they overcome their biggest fears and find that despite their biological vulnerabilities, they can still live a rich, full, and meaningful life. My therapeutic approach is strengths-based and seeks to find and reinforce what clients do well to help them generalize those skills towards areas where they're stuck. My model for psychotherapy can be summed up as this. You tell me what you're proud of, and I'll help you become effective and happy across all areas of your life. Thanks for listening, and let's get the show started. Hi, this is Dr. Maggie Perry with the Tell Me What You're Proud Of podcast. Today for this bonus episode, we've got a special guest, Rick Barber, who is the moderator for the COVID-19 subreddit. So Rick, thanks so much for being with me. Can you just tell me in greater detail what your role is? Yeah, sure. So I'm Rick. I have been moderating the coronavirus and a few other associated subreddits uh, since January 24th, I think. And the role is basically to try and keep the information quality of the subreddit as high as possible. That's like our main goal. We've had to discuss, actually, like what are our principles and which of them comes first, because you know, early on, we were able to have a whole set of principles that we didn't realize may come into contradiction with each other. But sort of as things grow, as we face different challenges in terms of governing the subreddit, eventually certain principles come into tension with one another. The main one being information quality versus having a, an arena for discuss anything you want. A lot of people were taking advantage of that and, and putting a lot of uh, misinformation in. So we eventually decided that if the two were in conflict, you know, if people were posting misinformation, that we were going to remove it, basically, because the, uh, the keeping information quality high was the most important thing to us. That's really interesting. Can you say more about how you've been able to keep the information quality high? Yeah, so sort of knowing that it was our main principle was important because it helped us to make decisions. The other things that contribute to that are, you know, we've got 64 moderators, moderators with all kinds of different backgrounds. We've got everything from physicians to PhD virologists to people in computer science to people with no particular expertise, but who are committed to keeping the discussion high quality. One of the things on Reddit that people might not be aware of, the point of view on Reddit when you're moderating is very different from when you're using the site. Moderation mostly happens via something called a mod queue. I mean, all this is, is is the list of things, pieces of content, either comments or posts recently reported by other users. So like many online platforms, we don't kind of dive into the comments looking for things to remove. We rely almost entirely on reports by users. So having people keeping an eye on that queue is kind of the main day-to-day job that those 64 people are doing. It's kind of taking turns looking at the queue and going through it. And when we started early on, it would be 10 to 25 items in the queue would be the maximum. 
now if no one's been on the queue for a while or even if some one or two people are regularly gets up to 300 400 500 items and uh continues to grow so it's yeah, a constant can, battle i can imagine can you tell us more about what people are talking about yes yeah, so there are any number of conversations going on at any given time we have a daily discussion thread where people can talk about anything and everything. And then for each of the given articles that get submitted, people are usually talking about the article, but can also get off topic. The kinds of things people are talking about are you know, comparing what's going on in different countries and whether what one country's doing is better than what another country's doing to people talking about their own kind of preparedness and whether or not they're using masks, people talking about their struggles, convincing relatives to do social distancing. You know, I've seen a lot of people exchanging information about how they convinced their grandmother or their uncle to uh, finally take it seriously. So that's also a common theme. You know, people are, are often trying to be comforting to one another. You'll occasionally, you know, I think kind of people take turns being more or less freaked out. It's a very big community though, so I don't want to overstate, you know, it's not like people have a lot of awareness or, or durable awareness of one another because there's 1.7 million subscribers. So it's a bit of a crowd, more than a one-on-one -on -one conversation, but people will engage with each other. Someone will come in and say, hey, I'm really freaked out and um, they might get some support. They also might get some trolling which is, again, something, the kind of thing that gets reported and removed. Yeah, that's great. It sounds like it's mostly a comforting and supportive community. What has it been like to be on the moderator side? Like, how does that impact your health and well-being? Yeah, you know, it's given me a feeling of efficacy in a time when we're, when everybody is up against this, like, really large force that it's probably very easy to feel powerless against it gives me at least something to do, right? It, you know, it gives me something to focus on and something that I hope affects kind of the, the bottom line of how we respond to this and um, how well we do things like social distancing and stuff like that, keeping that information quality high and keeping conversation going where people are supporting one another, I think is pretty useful. Yeah, how has that conversation changed over the last two months? It's gotten a lot more political. We cut back on political posts as, or political comments as well, just because every other place on the internet is for that. And I feel like the political discussion does have kind of a, a totalizing effect in that I feel like politics wants to take over every online conversation. So we've been doing what we can. Uh, you know, we've got a policy that people can discuss policy, but they shouldn't discuss politics. And so, you know, certain threads about what a politician is doing you know, we may lock the comments on that fairly early. That completely makes sense. Well, all of this sounds really great. How would you recommend somebody that's feeling kind of lonely and isolated who wants either more information or wants to be part of the community? Like where would someone even get started? Because actually it sounds really huge and relatively confusing. Yeah, it definitely is. It's definitely chaotic. And, uh, you know, not all of the conversations that are going on are supportive or productive. I mean, it's a chaotic part of the internet that we're just trying to tame as much as we can. But going to the subreddit itself, it's at, you know, reddit.com slash r slash coronavirus. But we've also got a couple of other sister subreddits that maybe are a little more, they're smaller and they're more focused. So maybe they're a little bit easier to get involved with. And one of them is uh, 
the one called uh, COVID-19, and um, it's for more scientific discussion. So a lot of the participants there are submitting the latest paper that comes out in, you know, like the New England Journal of Medicine, and you can see people with scientific knowledge actually discussing it. And uh, that's been a pretty high quality community from the start as well. Then there's also the COVID support one, which is mainly people. And so for that one, you have to be approved to post. And I don't know exactly which process they've got in place to do that, but it's for support. And it's for people to say, hey, I'm having this feeling or that feeling or feeling very anxious or a lot of dread. And people give one another support in that group. And that is um, maintained a supportive atmosphere? Yeah, that one, you know, we again, trolls will get in every now and then, but for the most part has a, a very supportive atmosphere. I'm happy to hear that. I know you told me about COVID projects also. Oh, yeah. Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, yeah. So that's another one that um, we started because, you know, I had any number of friends in my PhD program who were like, well, you know, does data need cleaned? You know, do programs need written? And uh, I was like, well, yeah, you know, all that stuff probably needs to happen, but I don't know of like a, a clearinghouse for people putting project leaders in touch with people who want to help out. So, yeah, we started that one as well. And it's basically a place for people to post anything from ideas to finished product that they want to showcase to sharing resources on funding. You know, there's a lot of grants out there right now for this to even political organizing is something else that I wanted to allow in there. You know, not political sniping at one another, but like if someone has a petition or, or a letter drive or something, well, probably not a letter drive, but a, a phone drive or an email drive that they want to post, that's an, an appropriate place for that as well. That's great. And can you say more about how you got this role? Yeah, I have a lung disease and no small amount of anxiety. So those things positioned me to be looking at this in a worried way fairly early. You know, I was just looking through some um, group chat history yesterday to kind of try to see just how my discussion with my friends had changed over time. And I found that, yeah, on like the 21st of January, I had pointed them to this subreddit and we had been discussing it, I think a few days even before that. So I was going to this community for a few days and it had really good information quality, but I started to see it growing and, I, and it was obvious that they needed help. So I just reached out to uh, the people at the time and asked if I could help. And uh, back then there was almost no one willing to do that or there were very few people on the moderation team. So that's how I got involved. They were happy to have some extra help. Yeah. And then what do you think you're doing particularly well? Or I guess, I mean, everything you're saying is giving me a lot of hope in a time of a lot of uncertainty and kind of crisis. You know, the internet can be very chaotic and it sounds like you guys are working really hard to make it helpful. So what are you most proud of related to all this? Yeah, you know, and maybe not even me personally, but like the thing that gives me hope, like I have a swelling in my chest whenever I see it is just the efforts of like everyone. You know, when I see that someone has released a printing face mask pattern and that people are sewing them at home and like turning them into their local hospital. That's like amazing to me. Like just that kind of spirit that we're told was the case during World War II, where everybody knew it was important. Everybody knew they had to do what they could. When I see evidence of that, you know, even something like a large company doing something, which, uh, donating some money, even that, you know, maybe a cynical version of me a few months ago would have been like, oh, they're just doing that to 
but no, now I, you know, I almost get goosebumps when I see everyone chipping in. That's really inspiring. to me. That is also really inspiring to me. I know you just gave the examples of making face masks. Is there anything else that you've thought was like remarkably amazing that yeah. you've got to, you've been privy to? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of 3D printing stuff over on COVID projects. Like that's something I know nothing about in my day-to-day life, but I've seen people, you know, they're sharing CAD files with each other there. And some people have the 3D printers and they're printing off, you know, valves, N95 type masks somehow. Like, I don't know how you do a plastic mask, but they're doing something. And the visors, especially to that, you know, are part of a PPE, personal protective equipment that healthcare workers are using. I know they're printing off a lot of those. I've also seen just a lot of interesting projects. You know, I saw one the other day, which was meant to put elderly people who were trying to shelter in place in touch with people who might be able to like go get groceries for them and then just leave them on their porch. You know, so these networks of facilitating local cooperation, some people have built websites around that. And then, yeah, there are just so many projects that people are working on and that's kind of awesome to see. That is awesome to see. Thank you so much for sharing all those examples. Is there anything else that you were hoping to tell people about or talk about? So for people who are anxious, I will say this. You know, my anxiety over time has gone down, even as things have gotten worse. Early on in this, someone posted a paper about crisis communications and about how if you've got a public health thing like this, actually, you should communicate early and you should say things might get bad early because there's apparently something called an adjustment reaction where you kind of want people to do the freaking out before things are bad. And I've found that to be the case for me, that like I was most worried about it early on, but now I'm kind of oriented towards what I think might happen near term, long term. And um, I was even seeing that like when I was looking at my chat history yesterday, how like there were just some things early on, like when um, American Airlines or some airline canceled their flights to China, how that just seemed like such a big deal at the time, Mm -hmm. whereas now that would be a very small thing. So I think that for people who are very anxious right now, that there's a reasonable chance that your anxiety will go down over time as you acclimate or just kind of uh, do some sense making and you can really kind of position yourself in what's going on. And uh, luckily, like I said, for me, that was earlier. So, you know, I, I think for about a month now, this has felt less dreadful than it did in the first month for me. It's really great to hear. I have had the same experience as a therapist, both with individuals and with groups, where especially right after there were shelter in place efforts, I think that made everything feel really real to people that weren't already following it detail by detail. And right in that first week to 10 days, it seemed like there was a lot of people that were really feeling suddenly very anxious, suddenly really afraid, suddenly having a lot of anticipatory anxiety about how long this was going to last. And I've also seen that people seem to be like adjusting and it's feeling more normal. I wonder also if it's not just kind of adjusting to the new normal, but also the way someone relates to uncertainty and anticipatory anxiety. So it sounds like you did a good job in my language, figuring out kind of signal versus noise, like figuring out how to contribute efficaciously to problems and then how to let go of uncertainties. And then that might make you a little bit less sensitive to the palpable uncertainty that we're all facing. Yeah, totally. Like one of the things that was helpful was kind of identifying. I think when I was most anxious, I was doing this uh, form of avoidance where I would just seek more and more information. 
and then like share the worst news with my friends and they were doing the same to me so we had this like kind of negative feedback loop going on of bad news and i well talking to you actually was um kind of trying to figure out why we would do that and you know i I think it felt like when you see a piece of bad news like that you kind of feel scared and um, you don't want to feel scared alone and what you really want is probably some support and some encouragement that things will be okay but since that's basically unknowable like you know i basically told my friends hey let's stop sharing bad news with each other like we all know that things are trending towards away from the ordinary. So maybe we shouldn't continue to share bad news with each other. And I started to think that at least for my information seeking, you know, I wasn't just going to sit and refresh the page. I was going to try to ask myself the question of like, you know, do I know what I need to know right now to kind of take the next steps? You know, so like before the shelter in place stuff, I was very anxious and bought some food and stuff like that to have on hand in case we were unable to get that and kind of once I had that plan in place, it was like, well, what do I need more information for? And so I've, been, I've tried to use that a little bit as well as like, you know, do I need more information to make necessary plans that I might need to make about like, what if a loved one gets sick or what if the store is out of X, Y, or Z? And that's been pretty helpful as well. Now, though, I feel like my I've got a little bit more balance in terms of the way that I'm consuming that information. I don't think I'm just sort of anxiously clicking for the next story you know, looking for either a distraction from anxiety I'm feeling or, you know, maybe a piece of good news or something like that. Like, I feel like I've got a more balanced approach. Yeah. And I want to hear more about that because I like to think about the news right now as an intrusion. So you could have an internal intrusion, which would be an unwanted intrusive thought that arrives with a spike of anxiety or a worried thought that arrives with a spike of anxiety, but you can also have external intrusions and the news seems to be bombarding people sometimes with just, it's intrusive because it is worrisome and then it arrives with a spike of anxiety and then you have the urge to figure out what's happening or share it with someone else or like do something about it in a way that current Uh events don't always make people feel like they have to do something about it immediately. So it seems like you've managed the intrusiveness of it by thinking about probably the information that you seek out are actually problems you want to solve or know about, or they're helping you feel more efficacious. So it seems like it's just more intentional and it's not anxiety driven. Is that how you experience it? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, more often than not, certainly I'll still do some anxiety driven stuff, but yeah, overall when, when I'm kind of uh, functioning well and with a degree of balance here, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And I, so I would say for, for other people, for listeners, it's true that there's terrible things going on right now. And also just there's terrible things going on in the world all the time. And if you don't typically have an anxiety driven way of reading the news, you may want to use some of the same criteria that you have used in the past, which might be like, I want to get, I want to be up to date on current information without staying in it in an anxiety driven way. So I think that can be really helpful. And then also just remembering like what you want your role to be in it. So I think Rick, what you're saying is very inspirational that everybody can play a role, but we all have different skills. So it's worth it for people to just reflect on what skills and resources they have, maybe how they can contribute, but then not feel like an inflated responsibility that they need to do more than they can. Yeah, absolutely. And then one other thing that I don't know if you'll want to include or not, but just it's an anecdote. You know, I was talking to a friend who has a lot of contamination content, and I have not had a ton of OCD content over the years. But recently, 
you know, some of the rituals I have, which makes sense to me for bringing packages in the house and things like that. I have more empathy now for people with contamination content because it's exhausting. And that's what I said to the friend last night. I was like, wow, this is like so exhausting. And she's like, yeah, you know, I do it in, in all weather, not just right now. So we were talking about like getting packages in and stuff like that and what to do there. And it really is a full-time job, like just keeping that vigilance against contamination. And I, I think I was able to see that in a way I never was before. Yeah, you know, Dr. Jenna Sheftel and I had another podcast about COVID-19 that came out last week, and we were talking just about that. Um, a couple of things that we had talked about is how it is actually really normalizing and validating, or we hope that for those that suffer from contamination OCD, they suddenly feel more supported because now so many people understand how painful it is to be palpably aware every minute about the possibility that you're contaminated or could be contaminated. I think the other thing that I would respond with is thinking through what the underlying fear is can help you figure out what to do next. So sometimes contamination OCD is about the feeling of uncertainty. And then I think using the same framework that we were talking about before, like signal versus noise and using the CDC as guidelines for like what's actual problem solving versus uncertainty that you have to get used to over time. But the other thing is, I think, this inflated responsibility around awareness that because there's the possibility that I could get somebody else sick, I can't let go of that as a possibility. And I can't, like I'm, I'm doing anxiety-driven behaviors because of the chance that I could get someone else sick. And I think the framework around looking at a conscientious model. So the answer, again, is the CDC as your conscientious model. But oftentimes when people have the, that fear in particular, they're just afraid. Their over-conscientiousness is making them feel so guilty that their behaviors become anxiety and guilt-driven. And so just watch for, or like two other people, thank you for bringing up this topic, Rick. Four other people, watch for your anxiety and your guilt and potentially rather than interpreting that as threats or problems to solve, you could also think about it as this is my conscientiousness being hijacked by anxiety, and I can use the guidelines of the CDC. Yeah. Okay. I'm just wondering what has changed in your life outside of this? So one of the big things that's changed is I talk to family a whole lot more. I talk to my mom and dad and grandma each on the phone at least once every other day. And before, you know, it was maybe once a week. So like, that's been a good thing, actually. You know, I'm really able to value quality time at home with my wife in a way that was maybe easy to forget to do when things were quote unquote normal before. And so that's been another kind of uh, silver lining in all of this. Yeah, I completely agree. Despite the crisis, I think there's real opportunity for connection, efficacy, and hope right now. And I think everything you talked about is really good examples of all the all three. So thanks so much for being on the podcast. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Alrighty. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you felt any benefit from the show, please let us know and share it with anyone you think would also find benefit. As a disclaimer, please consult your doctor or therapist before attempting any strategy shared here. Thank you.